0: Good Sunday morning. Hope your alarm went off. Getting ready to go. Maybe you're off to church this morning. A lot of people out downtown Minneapolis. Charlie Wee's the man in charge of the show, I'm just sitting here. Charlie, there's a lot of people downtown going to this brand new church. It's called Eagle Brook. Oh, yeah? Yeah, the, the evangelical church Where it's downtown. is downtown. It? It's like on 12th. Um, and they just pack the hen house. Yeah, yeah. Well, after. Good for the hen house. Good for the hen house. Good, good for spot. Yeah. So we are talking about actually tomorrow starts winter hazard awareness week. And you know that what that means, you know, your your lot of bad habits in the in the winter that cause harm to our property and to us. Slips and falls and other injuries. So we have invited to the program. Charlie Sloan. Charlie is deputy chief at Hennepin EMS to talk about 911, when to call, what happens when you call, how many people call, and for what. Charlie, thanks for coming on with us this morning. Hey, good morning. Happy to have you.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's an interesting kind of look behind the scenes. I think people wonder, you know, 911, uh, you think you call when you have a heart attack, you call if there's a car accident, kind of talk to us about Hennepin EMS and what you do and what you're all about. And then we'll kind of dig into some of the calls that you get and maybe messages you want to give to people as well. And we also want to remind people right out of the gates on this Sunday morning that they can ask questions too at 651 461 651 So kind of talk about Hennepin EMS and what you do and and how it works behind the scenes.
1: Sure, so um, Hennepin EMS is a advanced life support um, ambulance service provider. Um, you know, we are one of the largest providers and the busiest providers uh, in the upper Midwest. Um, we currently run about uh, somewhere between 90 to 92,000 calls per year and we transport about uh, 66,000 of those people um, and that's per year. So Um, Yeah, we're busy. Uh, There's a lot of stuff going on out there. Um, You know, we serve our service area is 266 square miles uh, and we service 14 separate municipalities, um, everything all the way from, you know, uh, most of Minneapolis and then the further west you go into Hennepin County uh, is is all our service area. So, um, yeah, I mean, we have a a crew about um, 150 or so paramedics that are staffing uh, their ambulances, you know, nine one one trucks, twenty four hours a day. So, um, you know, they're they're the heroes here, and um, they're the ones out there, you know, doing the work. And um, yeah, so uh, we are just a, a very busy service. Uh, we have a lot going on, um, and so uh, yeah, anything we can do to to help out the the public, we do. And um, you know, there's not always a life threatening emergency uh, to be solved uh, when people call nine one one. Uh, it might surprise you the things that people call nine one one for. So, let's um, let's talk let's talk
0: are, about that. Let me jump in, Charlie. Yeah. You know um, what are those things and just share that. And then should people should you say don't call on those things or tell us about the nature of the calls and the ones that you maybe don't want to be getting?
1: Yeah. So I mean, obviously, people are are free to call nine one one for whatever they deem. Uh, you know, fit. So uh, we, we get a lot of calls for, you know, yes, the typical things like chest pain or uh, someone who's having a diabetic reaction, someone who's unconscious, um, you know, we get we get those calls as well. Um, but we also get calls for things like a toothache or, um, you know, I fell and scraped my knee, um, you know, seemingly less emergent uh, calls uh, that we 911 want calls for as well. Um, and so you know, we, we do have a, a, our own communication center, um, and and that is staffed 24 um, 7. And so, uh, it's basically the, the job of the emergency dispatcher to triage those calls, and then we send an ambulance to the most acute calls first. And we'll we'll let the toothaches and the you know the knee scrapes and the toe pain, um, we'll we'll kind of let those you know, sit in pending for a little bit until we can get an ambulance there because we are busy taking care of higher priority calls. And so we do have a system in place to to take care of that. Um, but, you know, no matter how many PSAs we do, uh, it, it people will call no matter what. So um, we are there to help them on whatever level they need.
0: Do they ever just call to talk, like do people end up being lonely and just want to talk?
1: Yes, yeah, not necessarily on the phone, but they'll call and say, uh, that they have a, a medical issue, and then that will invoke an ambulance response. And then when the ambulance gets there, um, it'll be something along the lines of, "Oh, um, yeah, can you hand me my remote?"
0: And uh, I'm like,
1: <laughs> "What?" Charlie. Uh, that,
0: oh, no,
1: that stuff. That stuff does happen. I'm sure you it end does. Up, yeah, you know, sitting and chatting with someone, but. Um, yeah, that does happen, you know, on occasion.
0: All right. Let's do this. Uh, 651-461-9226. That's the number to call if you have a question or a comment. For our guest, Charlie Sloan. Charlie is Deputy Chief of Hennepin EMS, and we're talking about 911, when to call, what happens when you call. If you have a question about that, I also did want to touch Charlie about, you know, it is winter approaching and we will get snow and ice and just kind of the the hazards of winter and what that means to what you guys do if you see an uptick in calls. So we'll get to more of your calls and continue our conversation with Charlie Sloan from Hennepin Healthcare after this on News Talk 830 WC cco and we are back it is 18 minutes past seven o'clock on a sunday morning hope you're well hope you're up and at them 651-461-9226 we are getting questions and we are talking to charlie sloan deputy chief at hennepin ems about the operation there at hennepin Healthcare. a texter writes in this morning already how are different languages handled charlie that's a great question
1: that is a great question. Um, obviously, you know we do see a lot of uh, language barrier issues um, at Hennepin, and uh, we have a couple different ways to to uh, kind of navigate those. So um, in each one of our ambulances at Hennepin, um, we have uh, a, a, a tablet that we'll use for things like ultrasound uh, and a few other things. Uh, we have a interpretation services app called Genie. And what this does is this allows us, uh, and, you know, the men and women paramedics in the field uh, that, are, that are taking care of these folks, um, they can basically pull out this iPad, uh, and they tap the app, and um, they get a genie interpreter, and usually it's about five, six seconds, and then they can uh, have, you know, any number of languages uh, interpreted for or the patient um, or their family members, right, to mm-hmm. help take care of those folks. That's so, great. Yeah, we we do have a way to to do that.
0: Another texter writes: I have a 97 year old father who lives alone. He has had to call nine one one several times over the year for minor falls, and his life alert goes off. Is there a point where you can call too many times, and you have to get social services involved?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, we we have had instances over the years where um, high resource use customers that we we like to call them, um, you know, if there is truly a concern for that person's uh, well-being, uh, for their health or for their mental health, uh, we can get social services involved. Uh, Paramedics are mandatory reporters uh, through the state of Minnesota. Um, And so uh, when they see something uh, along those lines, if they feel someone's health or mental health or well-being is in danger, uh, they are required to report that. And so um, hard to say for that individual situation, but um, it certainly sounds like, you know, if uh, he's going to be a danger to himself, whether it's, you know, by a fall or he just can't take care of himself Uh, The conversation might have to be had about moving on to like an assisted living or a nursing home or something along those lines where he can get the help that he needs. And so, um, you know, we we go to repeat callers all the time, every single day. um, And it's just part of the job. Um, And we just try to get those people hooked up with the resources that they need to uh, for the help they need.
0: We're talking to Charlie Sloan. He is deputy chief of Hennepin. Healthcare EMS, and we're inviting your phone calls 651 I guess just a basic question along the lines of the caller. I mean, is there an answer to when to call 911?
1: Um, there really isn't. You know, I mean, everyone interprets an emergency differently. So what, what I think is an emergency might not be what you think is an emergency. But in general, people call 911 because, uh, you know, they're, having the worst day of their life and there's something going on and they need help. And so um, there, there's really not, uh, you know, any, any trigger or um, you know, there's the obvious ones. Like if you think someone's having a stroke or they're having chest pain or you can't wake them up. I mean, those are are pretty obvious 911 situations. Um, But like I said earlier, uh, you know, we we do get calls for all kinds of different requests. Um, We are obligated to come and so we will. Um, and then we'll make sure that, uh, you know, those people get the help that they need um, yeah. on whatever level that is.
0: A texter writes in, we called 911 while driving as we watched a driver on their phone dangerously cutting across lanes in front of cars. Is that an appropriate use of 911? I've done it myself because it seems like I might be preventing tragedy, but you tell me.
1: Yes, absolutely. That That's a great time to call 911. Um, you don't know, I mean, Obviously there was, you know, an eyewitness account of of why this person might've been driving erratically, but, um, I myself have called in, um, you know, suspected drunk drivers and, uh, it's, it's worked out well. And so, yes, that is definitely an appropriate use of 911. Um, and depending on what city you're in, that will depend on which uh, dispatch center you talk to, and then you can relay your information, and, and they will get uh, police or fire or EMS dispatched to that location.
0: Charlie, I was curious about inside an ambulance. You know, you make the call, you dispatch an ambulance. How much has it changed in terms of the technology and the ability of those Workers inside to treat patients en route.
1: Yeah, so uh, we've had a ton of advances over the past, I'll just say, probably fifteen to twenty years, um, and and there's a lot of technology out there that is now at the disposal um, of our paramedics. And so, um, ultrasound is a big one. We can now do um, pre-hospital ultrasound in the field, and so we can take a um, an ultrasound and we can take a look at your lungs. We can take a look at your heart. Um, and we can see how well things are working or if there's an issue that we need to address. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of technological advances. We can do a 12-lead in the field, and that's been around for quite some time. But What is um, that? It's still a 12-lead EKG. It allows us to, to take a look at 12 different views of the heart, and we can uh, tell within a high degree of certainty if you are having a heart attack or if you're having um, what we call an ST-elevated MI, which is basically a heart attack um and 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 how that helps us is that if we can get that 12 lead and we can see that hey this person is having a heart attack we can um basically call ahead to the hospital and we can have everything ready uh and then when we bring them through the doors uh they go straight to the cath lab and um it saves a lot of valuable time
0: and lives I would imagine at the end of the day right
1: oh absolutely absolutely and um you know that that all starts with that 911 call and that recognition of those symptoms and so We'll get people who, who, you know, they, oh, yeah, my chest pain started yesterday and they didn't call until this morning, you know. Um, So, yeah, those. we wish you would have called earlier for sure, you know, but we're going to take care of you.
0: So bottom line, you would say maybe, Charlie, that it's pretty much okay to call 911. I mean, if you're having chest pains at night, don't wait till the morning. If, you know, something like that, you don't want people to hesitate. And maybe they do. Maybe they think, ah, this isn't that big of a deal, blah, 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 right?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, it doesn't seem like people hesitate a whole lot, to be honest with you. I mean, we do get uh, calls, you know, constantly throughout, you know, the day and night. Um, But yeah, you know, I I think it's just recognition of, of of what is a life-threatening emergency? What you know? What do you feel? I think just using some discretion. You know, um, you know, if you fell and stub your toe uh, and it's bleeding and you can't get the bleeding to stop, then obviously you should call if you have uncontrolled bleeding. But um, there, there's really no guideline, and we can't tell people not to call 911. Um, you know, we would just ask them to, to potentially use some discretion. And, you know, is this worthy of an ambulance? And just because you 911 doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to get automatically transported to the hospital. That's a big misnomer out there. Um, you know, we, we can come and we can do, um, you know, we can give you some advice, we can, you know, work with you and, and figure out what's going on and, you know, kind of help guide you on, on next steps. And if that's transport to the hospital, then that's what it is. But uh, people don't, always have to go to the hospital. And so we're definitely there to provide that support.
0: A texture at 651 461 says, how do you deal with highly agitated Alzheimer patients when 911 is called?
1: Yeah, so those can be some very challenging situations. Um, obviously, each situation is, is certainly uh, different. And so, um, you know, if we understand the reason uh, for the agitation, um, you know, we can do a couple of different things. Um, we do have medications. We can provide some sedation, um, or we can um, basically just, you know, softly restrain the patient so that they don't hurt themselves. And um, and then, you know, if they need transport to the hospital, uh, we do see a lot of what's called sundowning, uh, and we'll see that with um, Alzheimer's dementia patients where, um, as the sun starts to go down, there's a marked change in their behavior. Um, And so we do tend to see a little uptick uh, in calls around those timeframes, but um, yeah, you know, I just, each situation is different and, uh, you know, we, our our main concern is of the patient and making sure that they're not a danger to themselves or, or somebody else. And so uh, whatever we have to do to, to make sure that they stay safe uh, and we get them safely to the hospital for an evaluation, that's what we'll do.
0: All right, very good. Charlie Sloan is our guest. He's deputy chief at Hennepin EMS. And we're talking about nine one one. And if you have a question about when you should call and what happens when you call nine one one, feel free to jump in here. This is an opportunity to kind of get a bird's eye view of the work that's done. That you know, we see the ambulances fly by and you know, you always wonder where they're going and what they're doing. Um we we also want to maybe on the other side of our bottom of the hour break Charlie talk a little bit about the winter and I would imagine maybe maybe not an uptick in calls um is winter a busier time than summer when it comes to 911 calls or have you made that differentiation
1: yeah you know sometimes there's a differentiation um you know when it, when it's busy during the summer we'll say oh man this summer is really busy and we'll say the exact same thing for winter so um you know I think at at Hennepin EMS specifically, uh, you know, we we do tend to see an uptick in, you know, things like slip and falls and car accidents, you know, when the weather is bad. You know, we have some icing conditions and the the sidewalks are slippery. We have a lot of foot traffic in downtown Minneapolis, you know, and other parts of our service area. Uh, We'll see people slipping and falling and, you know, they might have a broken ankle or a broken hip or a wrist. So we'll see a lot of orthopedic injuries, uh, you know, along with those. But, uh, yeah, weather does play a big part, especially here in Minnesota. It can, you know, change very, very quickly. And so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see, you know, pretty much busy all the time, no matter what the season is. Um, but, uh, yeah, we do tend to see uptick in, in those types of calls during, like, a snow day, if you will.
0: I wonder, too, about, like, holiday cooking, you know, people getting burned. You know, we're just going to start making this. Uh, a lot of people going to be in the kitchen making things. Uh, is that a call that you get? As well around the holidays with cooking.
1: Yep, absolutely. And um, you know we'll see you know a lot of burn injuries. Um, We'll also you know see a lot of house fires, and uh, especially around Thanksgiving, you know people trying to deep fry their turkey in their garage, you know stuff like that, or they didn't prepare it properly. Um, Yeah, we'll we'll definitely see that stuff around the holidays.
0: And again, that can be you you know if someone gets burned badly, you know maybe it's a grease, maybe it's what. You're not always, you know, do you call the ambulance or do you call 911 and they might say sort of triage you over the phone, like, hey, do this and that and that, and it wouldn't require uh, an ambulance?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, we do have a system of triage that, we, you know, you can talk to a dispatcher, uh, emergency medical dispatcher uh, who's trained to, you you know, take in the information, give instructions. Um, You know, at the end of the day, it's really the caller's decision, um, whether or not they want the ambulance to continue. Um, We will always recommend at least the ambulance coming out and doing an evaluation so that we can, you know, get someone at the patient's side, um, see exactly what they're seeing, um, and, you know, make a recommendation um, for either transport or, you know, some other form of treatment. But, um, yeah, so... Uh, You know, the, the caller has the right at any time to cancel the ambulance if they've called one, but we usually recommend that we come out and take a look at them first.
0: What is that beautiful little ring in the background?
1: Oh, it was a cuckoo
0: clock. <laughs> I had to address the, the cuckoo clock in the room. Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break here and do some weather. And then when we get back, we'll continue with uh, ye- more information about what happens when you call nine one one, and what you do ask of the public, especially as we are heading into kind of a busy season for you guys. If you make that call with winter conditions, what do you want people to do to make sure that they can get to the help, get to the person that is in need of help. So it is 731 on News Talk 830 WCCO. And we are back with the last half hour of the big health hour that we should solicit names. We're trying to name this show it's just called the health hour that seems so benign. Is you know, like bleh. So if you think of a name for a Sunday morning health show on WCCO, you can send it to us, 651-461-9226. We are talking to Charlie Sloan. He is the deputy chief at Hennepin Healthcare EMS, about 911. And we invited your phone calls and texts at 651-461-9226. We've got a couple of text questions. We also have a call this morning from Tim. Tim, good morning. You're on the air with Charlie Sloan. Uh, what's your question about 911, Tim?
1: Uh, The question is regards, I was told that if you're uh, 911 call and they come out and they do not transport you to the hospital, is there no charge involved in that to the patient? Yeah, so um, only very specific instances where uh, you would uh, receive a bill. Um, So just full disclaimer, I'm not a billing expert. But, you know, if we come out uh, in this is kind of in general for most ambulance services, so if the ambulance comes out and they do an evaluation, and you know you don't want to go or you don't have to go, there's no real emergencies. Um, you can basically sign a waiver and saying, "Hey, we offered you transportation," and then we all go our separate ways. Um, now, if let's say that you're having a diabetic reaction and we use uh, a bunch of you know dextrose and some IV supplies uh, and a few other things, then you could see a bill for only those supplies uh, and not necessarily for um, you know the services that we provided. Um, The same would be for like a cardiac arrest where we end up using a lot of different uh, supplies um, and resources to manage one of those. Um, You could see a bill for the supplies, but not necessarily for the service. And so uh, just because the ambulance shows up does not mean that you're going to automatically get a bill.
0: All right. Very good. Let's get to some of these text questions coming in. What is the education or training needed to be an EMT or a person who answers the 911 calls? Do you know that?
1: Uh, I do actually. So um, when it comes to uh, you know talking about um, emergency medical dispatchers, um, so it, it does help to have some EMT training. So if you're an emergency medical technician, you've probably gone through anywhere between a uh, three to five month course uh, to you know kind of learn that skill. Um, and then there's a, a test out period where you have to actually demonstrate your skills, uh, and then um, in a testing environment. And then you also there's a written test, and so. Um, that's usually between three and five months of training. If you're going to be a paramedic, you have to first be an EMT, um, and then the paramedic courses are usually anywhere between, uh, you know, ten to thirteen months, you know, somewhere in there, depending on which which course you're taking. Um, and so they do a lot more training, uh, a lot more intense uh, training on um, things like you know anatomy, physiology, cardiology, um, you know, pharmacology, all that stuff. And yeah. so. Um,
0: are you? And then
1: there's are a 24-hour uh, emergency medical dispatch course that you can be an emergency medical dispatcher.
0: Oh, okay. I was going to say, is there a shortage in that industry as well? I mean, do you see that? I mean, no, everybody has a shortage: teachers, nurses, etc. What do you? What is your field in terms of what you see for, you know, the need for yeah. workers? So-
1: Sure, sure. Yeah. So we're we're definitely short on in all aspects, right? Uh, we're short paramedics. We're short EMTs. We're short dispatchers, um, and so uh, you know we we have seen a, a shortage in all of those things. And um, you know all of those things kind of work together, right? When someone calls 911, you talk to the dispatcher. The dispatcher sends the police, the fire, uh, EMS, and then EMS shows up. And so it's uh, a very cohesive, um, you know, type situation. But um, yeah, we're, we're definitely short in all those areas.
0: All right, This is something you don't know. How, um, how do you charge for a 911 call? But you kind of got to it there. This next one, do you ever let a family member ride along in the ambulance to the hospital?
1: Yeah, so each ambulance service is going to have their own policy uh, regarding riders in the ambulance. Um at Hennepin EMS specifically, um, we always leave that determination up to the crew. And so it is the crew's decision whether or not to allow a family member to ride with. Now, there are certain situations where it's just automatic. You know, let's say you have a small child, uh, mom or dad is gonna ride with, that is gonna be completely fine, um, unless there's some extenuating circumstance uh, that the crew doesn't see it fit. But um, yeah, so the, the it's always the paramedics' discretion on whether or not they let family members ride with. and so. Um,
0: yeah, that's great. I appreciate that. And then let's ask you this one. Um, explain computer-assisted dispatch. I don't know what sure. that is. Okay, so, go ahead. Yeah.
1: So computer-aid dispatch, we refer to that as CAD. And so basically, um, you know, it's an a, a electronic system where we actually have a uh, an MDC, which is a mobile data computer, like inside the ambulance. Um, and that's connected to our uh, our dispatcher. And so, uh, when the paramedics are out in the in the field, they're in the truck, um, they're driving around, you know, doing their thing. Um, when they receive a 911 call, it'll automatically get sent to their mobile data computer. Um, and so that is done via CAD. Um, and the CAD is what basically the dispatchers work from. And then the mobile data computer is what the paramedics work from. And so all the information that the dispatcher receives, uh, they put that. You know, into CAD, and basically it comes over to the mobile data computer for the paramedics to see
0: all right, six, five one, four six, one, nine, two, two, six. This texture writes, do repeated nine one one calls to elderly people's homes because they have fallen and need help getting up cause a forced move to a nursing home, probably not in your wheelhouse, but I mean, I don't know, after falling a lot, that does end up happening in some cases, right?
1: Right, yeah. So I can touch on that just from my personal experience. Um, You know, we've certainly had those uh, situations in the past. And, um, you know, like I said before earlier, um, you know, if the paramedic sees that there is a a clear indication that this person either shouldn't be living by themselves or they're going to be a a threat to themselves or a danger to themselves if they can't take care of themselves, uh, they would be required to report that as a vulnerable adult situation. And so you know, we, we do see those from time to time, but it's, it's definitely not an automatic. Um, you know, if, if they're continually calling nine one one because they're falling or something's going on, um, you know, we, we can get some people involved to make sure that, you know, that they're getting the help that they need and that they're not going to put themselves in danger. Uh, but it's not an automatic, um, force move or anything like that. We can't do that.
0: Sure. That, that wouldn't make sense, but I think you could be a, a player in helping make the decision. You mentioned, uh, when you came on, we're talking about 911 calls, when to make them, what happens when you get ni- to call 911. And as we are kind of talking about Winter Hazard Awareness Week tomorrow, when you get that 911 call, Charlie, what do you ask of people? I know, like, I've heard stories about people that are hoarders and you can't get through uh, the sidewalks. The I mean, what do you ask of people in preparation for emergency services to get through to people? What would you like to ask them?
1: Sure. Um, so we do have a series of questions that we'll ask people who call 911. And so once we've addressed their medical situation, um, you know, obviously the when, when they first call, they're going to be asked what their address is, what their callback number is, and then, you know, just kind of a brief description of what the problem is. Um, and depending on where you live uh, is kind of kind of depend on how your call routing goes. And so let's just say in the city of Minneapolis, if you call 911, you're gonna get routed right to the Minneapolis Emergency Communications Center. Uh, they are the um, primary public safety answering point um, for the city of Minneapolis. Uh, they're gonna determine whether, or, you know, like where the fall is, what the problem is, um, and then they're gonna determine whether or not you need police, fire, or EMS. Um, if you need EMS, then they will transfer you over to the Hennepin EMS Communication Center where we will then confirm your address and then we'll ask some more targeted questions about what the meta problem is or why you've called 911. Um, and so once we make it through all of those questions and we can, our dispatchers will give instructions on you know, how to manage that patient until help arrives. Um, they might ask you to make sure that your, uh, your outside light is on to make sure that your door's unlocked. You know, if there's like a, um, some type of like secured access, we might ask you to send someone down to open the door Um, to meet the paramedics. And so those are some of the big things that people can do, um, and we'll ask you that over the phone to do that.
0: A texter writes in, if someone calls 911 but they can't unlock the door to let EMTs in, how does the crew enter the home?
1: Sure. So there are certain situations where we will request the fire department to come do a forced entry. Um, So the fire department um, carries specialized tools to uh, and it's not just like a battering ram, right? they 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 have other ways and means to get into a residence. And um, if we've confirmed that there's somebody inside who needs help, um, you know we can we can certainly you know make the necessary calls to to make a forced entry. We try not to do that. Uh, you know we try to find a way. we'll we'll go around and we'll try the windows and try the other doors and uh, we'll do everything we can to make sure that um, you know a forced entry situation is our last resort.
0: All right. Very good. Charlie, we're going to take our last break of the show. Charlie Sloan, our guest, Deputy Chief at Hennepin EMS, taking your calls at 651-461-9226. You can either call and come on the air with us, or you can just leave a text question, and I'll make sure that Charlie gets it. That text line again, 651-461-9226. Alright, we're back. We're waking up with you on a Sunday morning. It is 7.50. We have five minutes left to talk to our 911 expert. We have on our newsline Charlie Sloan, Deputy Chief of Hennepin EMS. I have to read this text to you. To Miss Susie, this is one of your best shows on Sunday. <laughs> How about Health Talk with Susie Jones? I don't know. Listen, we're just looking for a name, but that's fine. Hey, Charlie Sloan again with with Hennepin Health. It really has been a good hour. We have a lot of people that have gotten involved in the show and asked a lot of questions, and I think that's so important and really indicative of just the curiosity, but also you know the genuine interest in nine one one because it's it's I don't want to say it's like secret but I mean it is like what do you guys do and you know what I mean um so appreciate everybody and appreciate you a, t- a caller called in earlier and didn't want to go on the air but she really wanted to say how much uh, she wanted to thank all of you guys because you really do yeoman's work under pro- very extreme circumstances I mean how do you keep your cool when someone's losing it
1: Uh, Yeah, that's basically just comes right back down to training. And so um, paramedics, uh, EMTs, dispatchers, they constantly train all the time to be able to handle these situations. Um, And, uh, you know, that's it really just comes down to training. And so once you're put into this environment, you know, you always kind of have an expectation that you're going to get into a a very serious situation. Um, And then when when you do, you just kind of fall back and rely on your training and uh, you almost go into like this automatic mode of, you know, making sure you're doing everything you need to be doing Um, and uh, yeah training is a big part of that so
0: another question and again this goes to to billing but does Medicare or insurance co-pay for all services this might be out of your wheelhouse uh, yeah, that's definitely out of my wheels. Okay, um,
1: I, I wouldn't want to tell you something and have it be wrong, so I yeah. would consult Medicare and Medicaid on that for sure.
0: Yeah, maybe we'll have them on next. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about the opioid crisis. Uh, I have a friend who has a son who's a firefighter in Sacramento, and she talks about that crisis in California, and I know certainly we're not immune would you, do you have an idea of how many of your calls are overdose and how hard of a call is that?
1: Yeah, so I don't have an exact number, but I can tell you, uh, you know, a, a relatively high percentage of our calls are opioid uh, related, right, on some form or fashion. Um, a lot of the opioid uh, calls that we go on are just like your typical kind of standard overdose um, where someone has taken way too much or you know it's different than what they were taking and then uh they they lose consciousness and so Isn't
0: that sad? Um, those are what you just said. <laughs> yeah. You just said a tip, right. you know I mean it's like oh my goodness that's a terrible thing to say. I mean I realize you had to say it. Um and they don't die, right? They you get them back in that case?
1: Well, e- every once in a while. I mean, you know, we do everything we can to make sure that uh that you know we're we're helping these people to survive, but um, depending you know, on, on what they took, how much they took, and how long they've been down. Uh, those are really the survivability predictors. Uh, if we can get there relatively quickly and they're still uh, breathing some level, um, then in general, once we administer some Narcan, we'll do some rescue breathing for that person, um, and uh, we, can, we can usually get them back. But it's certainly not like the movies where every single time, you know, everybody lives. Uh, there are certain cases that uh, patients like that do not survive. But, um, yeah, and that's, you know, something we, we do every single day at Hennepin, unfortunately, um, is, you know, respond to those overdoses and, and administering Narcan. And we recently started a, a program with uh, giving suboxone, Um, And so in a patient that we've revived with Narcan, um, and if the patient is willing, we will give them another medication called Suboxone. Um, And we've actually had, um, this is basically an aid to um, help them um, into a recovery center. And uh, as long as they're willing to do that, then we will give them that medication, and it lessens the symptoms of withdrawal. Um, And then, uh, you know, we've actually had uh, quite a few people that have sought treatment after we've given that Suboxone, which is something pretty much unheard of in MS.
0: That's great. Hey, we're almost out of time, so I don't want to launch into another question, but thanks to everybody who texted and called in. It's been a great hour. We really appreciate your help, Charlie. You know, we will have you back on because, you know, the opioid crisis is real. It's not going anywhere, and I would imagine, you know, we have 30 seconds left. I would imagine that it's heartbreaking, and maybe you can just sort of tell us your thoughts on that to see it firsthand in less less than a minute.
1: it certainly affects uh, a lot of different people, um, you know, and, and we will bring any type of help that we can to those people and try to hook them up with resources and, and not just, you know, you know uh, giving them medications and taking them to the hospital, but, um, you know, we can make sure that they get the resources that they need to potentially get into a treatment center. But um, one final thing here, Susie, so when the snow starts flying, please keep sure, uh, make sure that your uh, sidewalks and uh, driveways are shoveled. That will help EMS get to your house a lot faster in an emergency.
0: You have been wonderful, my friend. Please let us call you again, and thanks to Christine Hill for setting it up so quick. Thanks for all the ideas as well on what to name the show. Somebody says, talking symptoms with Susie. That's not bad. (laughs) See you next week, everyone. Have a wonderful day, a beautiful day. Get out and enjoy the sunshine.